Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast as we dig into basketball training, player development. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of the Coach's Edge and coachesedge.coach. And in this episode, we're joined by Myson Jones, basketball trainer, former college athlete at Anderson University, owner of Hoops Institute. He helps basketball trainers around the country online. And in this episode, we really dig into some of the keys for players to continue to improve, some thoughts for parents and coaches alike to keep in mind if they're thinking of how they can give their child an opportunity to work on their game, to improve their game. And then obviously we're digging into some of the skills and the key characteristics that you wanna have if you're working on your game, striving to improve this off season. Big shout out to Myson. Thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Let's get to the show. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, serving mid-Michigan in the thumb with their big three automotive needs. They have a wide range of products from Chevy, Buick, Ford, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. And they also have a large selection of pre-owned vehicles with one of the largest selections of trucks in the state. They are sure to fit your needs. Standish and Gladwin are truck country. Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, they are all about service. And I can tell you firsthand from purchasing a couple different vehicles from Richardson Automotive, they are all about service. Stop in and see them today. They will get you right. We are live, Myson Jones, Hoop Institute, and uh, player development coach, basketball trainer, a lot of things going on. And um, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast and share your knowledge and your love of the game. I'm honored to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I've been following you for a couple of years, uh, like what you're about, what you stand for, uh, what you do. So respect there. Also a South Carolina guy, which I'm new to to the area. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool as well. Um, you've been in full-time player development for a few years now. What's one of the biggest things that you've learned since you went from, I don't know, all of your history, but maybe working with players a little bit on the side to saying, man, I'm working with a lot of players now. This is what I do, you know, all day, every day. Uh, what's one of the biggest takeaways that you've had? The first thing that comes to mind is from a player development coach perspective is that initiative is required. Uh, intrinsic motivation can't be replaced no matter how good of a, a coach you are. There needs to be some time put in outside of the training sessions. The sessions are usually a blueprint unless you're there every single day, which is rare in my opinion, there needs to be intrinsic motivation and self-practice to mm -hmm. really see results. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I mean, motivation can get the ball rolling, but it's discipline that keeps it rolling. And uh, that comes from the, the internal aspect of you got to want it. How bad do you want it? Coach can't want it for you. You can't do the reps for them, right? They got to, they got to do that themselves. Is that part of the conversation that you have with a player? You know, I'm thinking of the first time that you work with a player, uh, what would that look like? And what are some of the conversation pieces that you also have with that player and saying, hey, you know, there's a gap between where you are, where you want to be. How are we going to try to close that gap? Here's some things that I think I can do to help you. But like, just like you said, you got to put in the work yourself. Right. Usually. So we, we offer the first session free. It's a skill evaluation. The, the parent fills out information about the kid. What's their goal? What are their weaknesses? Uh, are they lacking confidence in this area? So we try to address that skill in the training session and look at all the trainees who are there and try to see how can I fit in this thing for this trainee? And it might be 10 seconds, it might be 20 seconds because we have 10 to 12 kids in the session. 
I try to have a touch point that's specific and detailed and requested from the parent in every single session. So uh, we do our regular skill work, game enhancement, skill development. And in the middle of those, those drills during a rep, during a break, I'll mention those points that need to be mentioned to the athlete. Have you ever worked with a player that you really had trouble trying to figure out how do I implement a, a type of instruction, whether it's verbal, whether it's physically performing a drill, whether it's putting them in a game situation, and you couldn't quite seem to get them over the hump as far as getting that light bulb to click on and getting it to flip as far as them being able to take what you're trying to do and actually be able to pull it off in more of a game situation? Yes, I still, I still do. And it's not as often, but the hardest, the two hardest things that come to mind with, with that are the athletes who don't say anything, who you, you don't know that they're confused until the very last second. And you have to mm -hmm. like figure out where the confusion began. And the ones that may need a private training session that mm -hmm. are in a group, because sometimes it just takes like, and I wish I went through the different methods of teaching faster. So some are kinesthetic, they need to actually learn how to do it themselves with their body movements. And I'm that kind of person. Mm -hmm. Some are also visual where they could just need to see it, then they can go and do it easily. Some are auditory. And I, I want to try to be a coach that does and is able to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. When we, those things don't work, then we can go to the side and we can spend more time uh, working on that. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I got a degree in education. So you're speaking, you're speaking my language, baby. When you're speaking my language, when, when you say those things, because, you know, being in the educational system before I went full-time with, with player development and working with teams and programs, it was so much about meeting those kids where they are, right? Meeting those kids where they are. How do they learn? What type of active learner are they? And also things just seem to click a little bit faster depending on background and, and the amount of work that players have put in. I think specifically we had one kid, uh, he was a junior in high school, came in specifically to work on his shot. And it was so hard to get him to make some of the changes in his shot. Part of it was on, was on him. But for me, he had such a unique shot I'd actually never seen. I mean, I work with a couple thousand players every single year. I'd never seen a kid shoot it this way. He had, Myson, this kid had the most crazy wrist flexibility. You, for those of you guys watching on video, he could take his wrist and it would flop like backwards like this, right? Like super flexible. So when he took a shot and he got his wrist back, the ball was almost like coming backward before it went out. And it was, it was something that we didn't get enough time to work with him. We had a few workouts. I'm not sure how bought in he was, but I always feel bad about working with him. I was like, he had such a unique body type. It was tough to get him to kind of get a, a really good solid, like arc and lift on a shot. You just see players like that every once in a while. I was curious for, for yours. Um, you work with players, which means you also work with coaches and parents. So we got coaches and parents listening to this podcast what is some advice that you would give to them when they're trying to seek out some extra instruction for their son or daughter, or they're a coach, and they're trying to figure out this unique world of player development, basketball training, and saying, you know, I got a kid who really loves the game. They want to put in extra work, but I'm trying to figure out how to put them in a position to get that extra instruction and succeed. Uh, I think 
a lot of factors. First thing is who is the person? Who is the trainer? Are they, what does their social media presence look like? Are they someone that you want your son or daughter to be around? Second thing would be how good is their basketball knowledge? You can look at their history and see if they at least played the game at some kind of level. And how do they teach? Do they have any content where you can get a feel for how they teach? Then budget, I would say. What, what are they charging? Is it something that's affordable? Uh, how many times can you go? I, I think those three things come to mind first when selecting who to seek out or train with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And, you know, all very important pieces when it comes to deciding some of those things. Um, you know, I think of like, what, what does that person teach at a high level? And does that match up with like some people are really good at teaching shooting? Well, I think shooting is essential for anybody. Like if you're going to find someone to, to work with, if shooting's not one of their strengths, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not going to be the best fit because there's a lot of people that can teach, in my opinion, a lot of the dribble and the how and things like that. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big one. And the thing that you said first cannot be understated. Is this a person that you would want your player or your son or daughter to be around? That is huge. That cannot be understated. Like one of the best compliments I ever got from a parent was I had a bunch of lessons put out. They signed up for the next one. They signed up for all of our camps. They just like boom, boom, boom. And there was like, I don't know, they just in like a day, they just spent like a thousand dollars. And I, I reached out and I was like, Hey, thank you. And he, and he just wrote back and he said, Steve, any chance I can get for my son to be around you is a win. And I was like, dang, I didn't realize I was having a, a positive impact on him like that. And I think that goes a really long way. And it's something that uh, we need to keep in mind as, as parents and coaches, who are the type of people that we're putting our kids around uh, so they can be a positive contributor to society is huge. And I know you're doing that at a high level as well. Um, when you think of someone who's really good at coaching at basketball training, and I know you've had the chance to interview, you know, the best in the world, right, within your podcast and, and, and learn from some of them. What are some of those things that they have in common? That makes them the best trainer, you would say? Make, makes them successful, characteristics to make them successful at what they do and, and make them good, yeah. Uh, I think one ex- experience in being pliable. So understanding what adjustments need to be made and making those adjustments. They have so many data points of different athletes that they've helped that they can, can one help in person, but also they're also good sometimes on social media and communicating that at a large scale, I believe. Uh, others, I would say just honestly, the grit, the same thing that would make a player really good is the same thing that I've seen makes a trainer good mm-hmm. as well in terms of how hard they're willing to work and, you know, sometimes if, when it comes to strictly coaching, I would say their level of study, like a lot of them watch film, a lot of them study uh, and they train with higher level players, professionals, and they're able to come back and teach some of the younger players as well. From a business perspective, I, I honestly think uh, the demographics or just the area that they're in is a big, huge help. And Honestly, again, the you're an educate you were an education major, so the lifelong learning skill of, of always trying to learn more, study, prepare, and make adjustments. So many good takeaways from there, not only from a basketball trainer, if you're listening to this, but as a coach, mm-hmm. do you have some of these same characteristics with, with your basketball team as a person who 
is trying to develop their skills. Maybe you're a high school player. You want to play at the college level, right? Getting those, those reps in the grit, the toughness to keep consistently doing something, even when you may not feel like doing it, right? That's the discipline compared to the motivation piece. You know, I, I love that as well. You play college basketball. I always think that it's an advantage when we're teaching other people how to play the game when you've played the game. I don't think you need it, right? I know some unbelievable coaches who, who haven't played at the next level, but it certainly doesn't hurt. What are some of the takeaways that you had from playing at the college level to help you instruct the players that you work with today? That's a great question. I think learning how to condense a lot of knowledge that I didn't learn until I was a sophomore or junior, that it just didn't click until then, having those nuances communicated to the athletes sooner. So mm -hmm. for example, especially if they're ninth graders, 10th graders, I, I'm more along the, the side of helping them optimize their, their, their game to where we're not doing a thousand different skills. You know, I'm not trying to limit you. We can focus on those, but they're not the majority of the session. Sure. So someone maximizing their defense, someone maximizing their offense, figuring out how to one, if you want to get a scholarship, like just, be great at that one skill because you see the transfer portal right now you see how many <laughs> athletes are in there you see uh what what the pandemic did in terms of backing up the pipeline yeah. it's tougher mm -hmm. in my opinion it's tougher to get a college basketball scholarship so really helping them understand one how to watch film and and study the film so that they can be smarter players because the iq is going to help them out a lot especially if they don't have the athleticism and two figuring out what skill they want to begin to maximize so that they can be proficient in that and be known for that, uh, especially when a coach has a spot on their roster and they need that spot on their roster, or they the kid just wants to get playing time and they can maximize this one skill effort and in X, whatever that one skill is. Uh, there's a lot of things I would say, but those two things come to mind, the film and the IQ, and then specializing, maximizing one skill as soon as you can. Mm, no, that's so good. That's so good. And maximizing that skill that best fits that role that you're going to play. I was talking with uh, one of our college players on the phone last, last night. And he said, you know, what are some things I should, I should work on? We're going to our first, you know, team open gym. And I said, listen, there's a difference between you playing your best and you playing your best to get the most out of the team and everybody else around you. And there's a difference, right? And so you may think I'm playing the best for me. That isn't necessarily helping you be the best for the team and your teammates and the success of your team come next season, that's the player that, that you need to become. And, uh, it, you know, it's just understanding that because as you get to the college level, well, everybody was the best player on their high school team, right? So there's still only going to be one of the best players on, on the college team. So figuring out what that role is. I'm curious, how did you go about finding that role yourself when you went on to play at the college level? It's a great point. I so like you said, I was the man in high school and then got to college and thought I was going to start, you know, and I played like seven minutes a game playing behind two All-Americans and they were guards. And I should have redshirted, but I had too much ego. And it kind of goes <laughs> to what you're saying with maturity, you know, like you you need to be a role player, play your best for the team. If you look at some of the, the tournament, every player has a role. And sometimes they have plays where they go outside of that role and they help the team out. But then you have certain times like, and Puff Johnson had a great tournament. I mean, the dude played so hard. He 
threw up on the court for the first time ever in the NCAA tournament. He <laughs> he was one of the only players that came off the bench for North Carolina. So that already tells you his value. I, I, there was a shot that he took that was like, man, the team needed a shot, but that may not have been the shot. Hmm. And you don't see, you didn't see him. And he's just one guy that comes to mind right now, but you didn't see a lot of other players stepping outside of their role. The higher you got, the deeper you got into the tournament. So I think the maturity to understand the role and execute that role is, is underrated and is very important and honestly can help that player be more valuable to the coach, which leads to more playing time, maybe scholarships and other benefits. Like you told that player last night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, the, the other thing, when you figure out what that role is, I truly think that it's more fun playing the game. Like you may be giving up some sacrifice, like you talked about Jots, like obviously stud player, you're playing for North Carolina, like you got mad game, right? But right. to be able to say, you know what, there's some things that I can do when I am out on the court that can help contribute our team when I am getting some spot minutes and, and it's going to help mm-hmm. us make a run into the national championship. There's something fun about that. Like the most fun I, I played four years overseas. The most fun I ever had playing basketball was the year I came off the bench. I was the sixth man. We just had an awesome group of dudes. It was the least amount I played out of any of those four years playing over there. I love the guys I was with. I knew my role. Everybody knew what they were do. And I came in and I bust my butt for like 15 to 20 minutes a game. And we were a really awesome team. It was just a heck of a lot of fun to play. And I think that when players can surrender some of the ego of doing what some of what they do best so that their team can be the best, that's when, boom, everybody starts really sharing the sugar, playing together, having fun. And then things start to start to roll in a positive direction right there. Um, As we continue to go through with this podcast, I know you have some, some other things going on today. Tell us a little bit about, one, what your player development program looks like out on the west side, South Carolina. And then secondly, share us a little bit about how you're helping other basketball trainers with Hoop Institute. So two different questions. Right. And I, I kind of want to go back to what you said there because I mean, I'm typing, I'm writing notes down right now, too. You said you had more fun playing your role in the fourth year. I think you said the fourth year overseas. And I'm thinking about my college career. I learned my role early on. So it was kind of backwards. Like I went from a, hey, you need to play, you need to be a three and D, a five, 10, three and D guy. So you got seven minutes to do that, take care of the basketball as well. But then, you know, the next year uh, I had a situation where I stepped into the starting role where I needed to be a scorer. I needed to get as many points as possible for the team and, and help us get into good offense. And that shift was abrupt for me. So you can't really plan for that. So it kind of goes towards the, adding to your game and how you can approach the game and enhance your skill set without negating the the fact that you have a certain role to prepare for. So I didn't really understand my role until I got into the late freshman year, early mm-hmm. sophomore year, but then it changed again. So sometimes roles can change and you have to be oh, yeah. prepared for that and work hard to to catch up in a sense. hundred um, percent. Let me, let me, inter- I don't want me to interrupt yeah, you, no, no, that's fine. but that's this fine. is so good. And then, I'll have you finish up with, with some of your, your business stuff that you have going on, but it's so true. When you start to maximize that small role that you're in, you start to get more opportunities. Like mm-hmm. what I mentioned, I started my first year overseas, second year overseas, moved up to a higher league, came off the bench. Like I said, that was the most fun, but because I was really, really good in that role, 
that next year, then I was starting. Then I actually, you know, got to a lot more playing time, score more points, shots, like all that good stuff. So different role, still a lot of fun. I would still say I still had more fun coming off the bench, just playing with a bunch of guys that I absolutely love, love being around that year before. So it's not, it's certainly not all about, you know, numbers and playing time and stats when it comes to the joy of the game and helping other people continue to get better. And which again is, is what you're doing. It's what we're trying to do with coaches and trainers and, and players, helping them do what they do just better. So I'll throw it back to you again, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that with, with your training business and hoops Institute. Man, I keep going back. Two things. Fun is underrated. <laughs> like, and fun is underrated. And I've burned out before. So I know what that feels like. And it's not, it's hard to work as hard as you can when you feel burned out and you're not mm-hmm. having fun. It's a prerequisite to, to success from what I've read from, from a lot of people. And also, I realize now with my college career, we went to the Elite Eight, the Sweet 16, um, the first round, and then just didn't make the tournament at all. And I had my best numbers the junior year where we went to the first round, but honestly, I'd, I'd rather take less minutes and swallow some pride, honestly, to be on a more successful team, mm-hmm. you know, and still have a chance to work up to the, the other roles that I want, but it, who doesn't want to win, you know? So knowing that now five, six years after college, I can, I can say that, but then I was blinded by, I want to be the man and I got to do it this way, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but to answer your question, um, as far as what the, our basketball training looks like, it, it, more so in terms of the, the business aspect or more so in terms of for other coaches to see or how, how should I angle the answer? Uh, well, for good, good question. For, for this first one, what does that look like as far as the players that you have in and how you're developing those players specifically so they can get better? Uh, so we – so we start, we have about, let's say, eight to 12 per, per, per group training session. We have privates as well. And the privates usually have two people, sometimes one. But we come in, we do the same warm-up usually every single day. So they know it. They can go home and do it. What's the warm-up? Uh, I got to ask. What's the warm-up? So we'll, we'll, we'll start from the bottom up. We'll go toes, walk on our toes, walk on our heels, do the uh, Frankenstein or a kick, chili to kick, uh, depending on the gender of the class. Then we'll do a Superman or an Olympic figure skater. We'll do both, knee hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, do some growing stretches and we, we go through, then we get more dynamic with yep. like over the gate, some a skips, uh, some hip flexor stretches, hip rotator stretches. Then we'll go with Euro steps where we land and we try to have some more impact absorption. So we kind of gear up slowly and I've gotten a lot of feedback from parents who really appreciate the fact that we Good take dynamic warm up. Yeah. And I'm learning, I'm talking to a lot of physical therapists about, you know, using the massage guns, stretching, and having more durability incorporated in the training. And, you know, you, you and I, like, for, at least for me, I didn't know about this stuff. I didn't talk about it. I didn't hear about it. So I played with like 60% of my mobility and capacity and performance thinking it was normal because I'm sore and I need to toughen it out rather than actually stretching and taking care of my body and feeling 100%. So uh, we try to add all that stuff, not as much as I would like to, but we, we definitely warm up, definitely stretch afterwards and do those things. So after we do that, we have the, the skill development portion where we're working on the ball handling, some of the unconventional stuff uh, that you usually wouldn't see in a practice. So we do the skill development portion, passing, usually always start with ball handling. So stationary first and on the move. Uh, then yeah, I found, I found ball handling is a great intro to, to a workout, always. I mean, you get yes. some stance, some footwork, the hands, like overall body. Yeah, 
the energy as well. Like, hey, let's start off high. Mm-hmm. Let's compete right here. We're, we're racing with the ball handling. Like, we're going racing up and down. We're racing going between the legs, pound behind. So it sets the tone for the workout for sure. And eventually we get to the game enhancement where we go off of screens. We work on flares. We work on whatever that action is for that day. And we start to incorporate some games out of those same scenarios so that they can see uh, when to do what. And within those games, we have film sessions where we'll watch film for five minutes and and break that down and look through things. And then we usually just end it with playing uh, maybe five on five or four before or something like that. After the session, if we we don't stretch, we we go home and I send the, the clips of the film that I recorded to the parent so that the kids can watch it a little bit later. So that's a typical training session uh, on a daily basis. How long is a general session? 50 to 55. I say 55 minutes. I always say 50 to give us a 10 minute buffer, but it's 55 minutes. Yes, you're packing it in. Yeah, you're keeping them busy in in that amount of time. And I like that you're really sprinkling in different types of instruction, different types of ways that players can develop their game. And, uh, you know, being able to say, hey, we've worked on this specific action, this specific trigger, whether it's coming off of a pin down, whatever it might be, but you're letting them play and try it out at the end. I think that's that's huge, whether it's in a small side of game or actually scrimmaging four on four. Uh, that's some really good stuff. So I, I really like that. I'm always curious to see what other trainers and coaches are doing uh, with some of their workouts. So that's good to good to hear. I like it. And uh, tell us a little bit about Hoop, Hoops Institute. You're uh, helping a lot of other trainers around the country with what they have going on. And so Hoops Institute is basically here to help basketball trainers handle the business so they can handle the basketball. Uh, talking to a lot of trainers, a lot of them struggle with things like collecting payments from parents with following up with people and not being organized because they have messages in Facebook Messenger, Instagram, email, text, and so many different platforms. Uh, we also help to just automate and systemize and organize what they're doing so they can focus on the basketball piece. So uh, one example, there's a, a feature that we have that consolidates all the messages. It consolidates the basket, the, the Facebook, the Instagram, the email, the text, the phone calls in one place. So you don't have to be scrambled and scattered in, in doing that. Sometimes they have challenges scheduling training sessions. So they may double book or they may not know who's coming when and they're doing all this scheduling on their phone, their personal phone, which can get tedious and, and tough to keep up with. So we offer a calendar feature as well. And anything you can think of to help make a basketball trainer more efficient in their approach, which I believe helps make them a better basketball trainer at the end of the day. And you help people do what they do just better and easier, which uh, I can definitely respect because that's what we're trying to do with the Coach's Edge and Coach's Coaches. We're trying to give high school basketball coaches an opportunity to have, you know, the resources and the community access to do what they love to do, work with high school athletes, coach the game they love basketball, uh, but to do it better, to do it easier uh, by providing them with the resources that they need to continue to grow and improve. You're doing the same thing with Hoops Institute, which uh, I can absolutely respect and relate to, especially when I was doing more basketball training and the individual and small group workouts. And uh, it was like, oh, wait. And, and somebody had, oh, can I come a little later? Can I come a little early? Can I jump into other session? And it can be uh, a handful right there. No, no doubt about it. As we finish out the pod, any piece of advice that you give right now you're talking to a high school basketball coach which I know I love you do some coaching yourself right correct correct so I think this is I think this is one of the most underrated things we didn't talk about it with basketball training is finding someone who does basketball training 
that has actual coaching experience. I think this is huge. We talked a little bit about the, the playing piece, but I also know a lot of people that can play, but they can't teach the game. And when, when you've coached the game and you understand what actually wins in those 32 minute high school basketball games, mm-hmm. now you have a heck of a lot better idea of what we actually need to work on in our training sessions. And that's one of the reasons why usually when I'm thinking about basketball training and player development, the first people I ask are the high school coaches, honestly, because I was like, what, what do you do the most? What wins the most? Like, what are the actions that you have the most? What are the shots that your players are taking? Where are they getting the basketball? Okay, then I'll take that. And then I'll put my training hat on, say, okay, how can we devise drills and programs so the players can get better in that area? That's, that's huge. So your advice to, to a coach, what's something if they're trying to do a lot of four-player workouts, three-player workouts in the offseason, the spring, big time for player development, that you would tell them to try to focus on in the next couple months? Great question. I would say look at the makeup of your team, at least get the best idea of the makeup of your team. Combine that with the film of what you did last year. See where you're going to get the most of your shot attempts and spots, what kind of style you're going to play. Do you need to condition more because you're going to be a faster playing team or you're going to have a big man, so you need to work on – post-entry passes and playing out of the post just I would say reverse engineer how you're going to play like you said and make sure that you devise the training based off of that so literally if no one has if you don't have any kind of training experience I would say look at the actions in the games look at what was potentially there and what you want to add and literally just train on that and then just continually to derive from that action so if it's a a, a post-entry pass and a slide down it's been that simple Let's work on the post-entry pass first and break that down. Let's work on the post-player catching it and learning how to actually seal and breaking those things down as detailed as possible because that's exactly what training is. It's just more time to focus on the details, whereas a practice, you don't have that time to focus on those minute nuances. Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely love it. Great advice right there. Myson Jones, Hoops Institute. Appreciate you taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Uh, for coaches listening, I'll be sure to put uh, my, some of Myson's social media links below so you can reach out to him, follow him online, wherever that, that might be. Uh, Coach, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for being on the Coach's Edge. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Shout out to Myson for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Really good nuggets in here when it comes to player development and some things to keep in mind if you're doing your own basketball training. If you found it beneficial, positive rating, review goes a really long way. We would super appreciate that. And again, big thanks to Myson for being on the show. Thanks for listening and get after today.